Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 25, 1-2 and 16-21. to To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning to our community in Southern California. Into March 14th, 2021, and at the same time, we welcome folks in from all over the map as well. We have two anniversaries that we are celebrating this week, and one is it's been about a year since the quarantine began, and our worship began to look differently along with our lives. I'm not sure if this is a celebration, but it's a recognition and and hope for when we return. And the second anniversary we're celebrating is we're coming up on our five-year anniversary for The Way when we first planted and had our first worship service, March 18, five years ago. Uh, We're going to postpone a party, okay? But when it happens, we'll have food, drink, probably some boogieing going on as well. We'll look forward to that. We are in the fourth week of a six-week series we're calling Healing in Lament. Healing in Lament. And we've discovered there are two types of biblical laments, especially laments we find in the psalm. And one is a communal lament and one is an individual lament. And each week for a Lenten season, we've been alternating between communal and individual laments until we reach Easter. Easter will have zero lament. Uh, This week, we touch on individual lament again. Psalm 25. Just as a brief reminder, a biblical definition of lament is grief at what should be but is not, and lament is grief at what should not be, but is currently that way. We've marked this out in the past, but lament is not confession. It's not solution brainstorming. It's not a furious activity to fix things. It is a time of sitting in grief that things are not right. And this week we look at Psalm 25. It is an individual lament, but I think it would be safer to call it a personal lament. Uh, Every one of us has been hurt. In some way, we have been wounded, we've been betrayed or manipulated or conned or deceived or ignored, dismissed or belittled in some way, made fun of in some way. Uh, this is a lament for people who have been wounded, and that's, that's everybody. And so the question when we come to a lament of a wounded person is, how do I lament being hurt? while simultaneously retaining some sort of hopefulness. 
Uh, how does the hurt not overtake my faith and my fragments of joy? I think there's a more specific question attached to that first one, is how do I lament being wounded? And we're wounded from without other people wounding us, and we are wounded from within, sin hurting ourselves. So how do I lament being wounded while at the same time treasuring, knowing, abiding, and walking with Jesus in the middle of the lament, not afterwards? For some, that sounds near impossible. And it may sound impossible because I think we are numb inside of our normal lament tactics. There are, quote-unquote, normal human strategies for those who have been wounded, and they're time-worn. Let me give you several of them. Common lament uh, strategies, what lament looks like, conventional lament looks like in a worldly way for someone who's been hurt and wounded. Uh, first one is very common, is um, lament sometimes looks like fighting back. It's like erecting a campaign to take the perpetrator down. Some of us can call it revenge, right? There's a certain morbid deliciousness when we read Count of Monte Cristo or watch Gladiator and see uh, Russell Crowe get final justice. There's a little morbid deliciousness when we watch Kill Bill. It's not just justice, it's justice plus. Right? It's why we dole out consecutive life sentences for someone who could only live out one. Lament, in a worldly sense, often looks like revenge. It also commonly looks like precise accounting. Uh, a normal worldly strategy for lament is to carefully enter every offense into a mental spreadsheet to hold and remember and account for every detail, every syllable, every phrase, every twitch that hurt us. Another common worldly way of lament is to recite our misfortune. So over time, people won't just know of your wound, they will have heard it a hundred times. The conventional proverb is true. People are willing to listen to your misfortune, but they will begin to avoid you if you repeat it all the time. And a common tactic of being wounded is to always tell people about it. Another common worldly strategy for lament is to soak in a crippling regret and a paralysis, right? Dwell on the unchangeable nature of events, like like just loop in your head, I, I can't undo this, I can't go back. There is no reset, there is no save game, there is no start a new spawn spot. You can't rewrite. History is its own blockchain. There's no altering it. I was watching a documentary recently, 
and there was a man who was attached to some horrifying events and he was not the cause of them but but he felt like he was attached in a way where he was a cause to them and he and he says after this horrifying event where people died he says i was in darkness for years afterwards because i couldn't do one thing to change the events that was his exact phrase that's a lament but it's a hopeless one another common strategy for lament is um, wounded victims are often not corrected or challenged or pushed by the world there's a resistance to call a wounded person to serve and help and contribute there's a resistance to call them into better fields there's a patronizing and there's a coddling we just let them be wounded there's an allowance that other ugliness can exist in their lives because of the wound that's a common strategy of worldly lament uh, there's another one in, in, in its uh, stoicism or silent silently bearing a wound uh, there's a book I, I, I read recently uh, the body keeps score and I, I touched on this even in our series on anxiety but let's say you have anxiety and or lament and it's left untouched and you're silently bearing it what it does is it begins to manifest itself in very real physical ways be it through blood pressure heart stress etc there are huge physical issues attached to silently bearing strain lament anxiety there's another worldly tactic and i call it bubble making and if you ever watched the movie bubble boy he had to have a bubble to keep out infectious diseases infectious allergens and if we have woundedness commonly we can make our lament and turn it into a thing that seeks to make our lives as safe as risk averse as a bubble as possible and so over time a common strategy of lament is to avoid difficulty and hardship and messiness especially other people their mess and their hurt and their lament that has real consequences how is that other hurting people are only in messy places and so when we bubble make we're actually creating a huge distance from helping anybody else lament can turn into selfish isolation and bubble making one last one one last common strategy for worldly lament is that we can begin to adopt our woundedness as an identity right the wound becomes so central to our stories our activities it's the lens by which we process the rest of the world our conversations um, much of life can begin to begin uh, be ignored because the wound has taken over it's become central to our shame central to our rightness our worth our value our personality 
It has become the singular focus for establishing who we are. In other words, what? The hurt and the wound becomes its own comforter, its own pacifier, its own justifier. Uh, these are common responses to being hurt, to being wounded, practicing lament, and I have dozens more, but, but, but they all seem to multiply woundedness. Uh, all of us listening to this, we have been hurt, we are being hurt, we will be hurt, and it's going to be by parents, and it's going to be by business partners, and it's going to be by spouses, and friends, and co-workers, and by bosses, and by other groups, and by our kids, and that won't end today. It won't end tomorrow. You're going to be hurt tomorrow. And th so there has to be a way for godly lament. Godly lament that doesn't multiply woundedness. Because I think you know this intuitively, if not overtly or explicitly, uh, that our ways, our common, normal ways of lamenting have been poison. Uh, those tactics didn't make us heal or get over it by any means. And so the question, those, those two questions, how do I lament being hurt? while simultaneously retaining hopefulness, more specifically, more, more precising, how do I lament being wounded um, while treasuring, abiding, and knowing and walking with Jesus in the middle of it, not afterwards? How do we do that? And so I think Psalm 25 is brilliant. It's brilliant in its wisdom. It's brilliant in its superior strategies for lament. It's brilliant in its honesty and authenticity. It's brilliant in both ugly cry grief and hope. I'm touching on verses 1 and 2. If you're following along, I'm touching on verses 1 and 2 and 16 through 22. It's a good representative work. And so you can follow along as you see some of David's verbiage. But this is also a terrific psalm for uh, devotional reflection for you this next week. Uh, chew on this psalm. Uh, put some Psalm 25 in a Ziploc baggie with your soul and heart and marinate that thing for overnight, 48 hours, and have some godly lament tri-tip. Uh, Psalm 25 is brilliant. So let's let's glance at that. Uh, some godly lament strategies. And in the first part, I just want to cover, I just want to touch on a few of these, is uh, Psalm 25 actually shows us how to individually or personally lament. And the first one is this, is um, we're going to, how to do it is I, David says this, I'm going to give, I'm going to give my lament and my disgust and my hurt, whatever it is, I am going to give it to you, God. He says that to you, O Lord, I'm going to lift up my soul. Uh, my God, it's going to, you're going to, I'm going to entrust you with my woundedness. Uh, now, isn't it interesting? Don't we, don't we usually, isn't, I know this is obvious, but don't we whine about it to ourselves first? Don't we rage and commiserate and find somebody else first before we ever do this? I lift up my soul to you. So how we lament is we, we go to God first and we say, I'm this, my, you're going to take my pain. You're going to take my pain. And the second way how, how we lament, and David gives us to, this to us in verses 2 and 3. He says, uh, uh, God, uh, in you, I'm going to trust. Um, I'm gonna, don't, don't shame me. 
because I'm going to trust in you. Um, don't let my enemies win. My opponents win. Uh, and he says, look, um, I'm going to believe something. I'm going to believe that's going to turn out okay. I'm going to wait. It, t- it turns out for those that are patient. You're going to vindicate them. He says that none who wait for you will be put to shame. Um, there is an exertion of what we call faith. You will eventually fix this. So I'm going to keep this at the top of my mind. Um, he gives us a third way. How? How to godly limit. And it's very simple. But for many of us, this is this will be groundbreaking. Is that he begins to state to his heavenly father what is going on inside of him. This is verses 16 through 18. Uh, he, he basically says this, I'm lonely. I'm going to state that to you. It feels like only me understands me. And it's not that I don't have friends. It's just that they, they cannot approach to understanding who I am. And it's very difficult to find any kind of understanding. I can't find the people who get me. I'm lonely. He's stating it. I am lonely. He's also saying this. I'm afflicted. He's stating it. Inside, I'm afflicted. I feel beat up. I feel exhausted. I feel ignored. I feel hurt. He's stating it. And then he says something else. He says this in Psalm 25. He says, turn your face to me or turn to me. And he's so emotionally aware here, self-aware. He says this. He says, I need tenderness. Now, who says that openly? I don't care if you're a dude or a gal. Like, uh, who who turns to a friend and says, right now, I just need tenderness from you. And yet, David knows that that's what his heart is longing for. I need, I need some kindness here. I, it, it could be even undeserved, but that's what I need. I don't need hostility. I need tenderness. And then he recognizes that I'm agitated. He's just stating this back to God. Uh, God, lonely, afflicted, I need tenderness. I'm agitated. My heart is troubled. It's enlarged. I'm consumed by this. I call it looping. Whenever I, I'm, my heart is agitated, I'm thinking about an issue, I'm just looping. I'm in an in infinite loop, it feels like. And, and David states this to the Heavenly Father. I'm agitated. And then he says this, I, my heart is also distressed. I don't see revolu- uh, resolution. I don't see fixes. I don't see change. I don't, I don't see, it, I don't see stuff changing. And so he states what's going on, what he's feeling in his heart. It's just beautiful. Uh, a fourth thing that David says to show us how to lament is, uh, he says this at the end of verse 18. It's a little small thing. You, you could miss it. And he says, I want you to forgive me all my sins. Cover me. Cover me. There might be sneaking thoughts in all of us that, hey, uh, maybe some of my sins might have been the, have been a contributor to my woundedness. And so David says, just to make sure, let's get that out. Forgive me. There's a fifth thing that he says. He goes, uh, and it's this idea of, of, okay, God, 
I want you to take over as the fighter and the defender. That phrase he says, I take refuge in you. What's he saying? All right. I'm, I'm going to climb into your castle. I'm going to climb into your home. I'm, I'm walking over into your territory, oh God. So now, now that I am on your turf, I am on your land, I am in your castle, I'm in your precincts. Look, you take care of the defending now. Okay, you're going to have to fight the, the, the attackers now because I'm on, I'm on your turf. You have to take over. Take over as fighter and defender because when we have been wounded, what do we commonly do? We take over the fight and we take over the defense. And so how we lament is letting God take over. Uh, sixth and final way of how, how, he says this, prevent me from becoming evil. Preserve me in integrity and uprightness because I'm, while I'm waiting, I am waiting for you to do it, but if you don't protect me and preserve me, then my strategies are going to go off script and they're, they're going to scorch people. He doesn't want to descend to his own hate, fighting the hate. Right? Let, let preserve my integrity. Uh, look, you all have experienced this. Blues hate the Reds and they hate the hate of the Reds. And, and then the Reds hate the hate of the Blues. And everybody's using the same script, the same hate script back and forth. And David is saying something profound here. I want you to protect my integrity and uprightness because I don't want to use ungodly means to fix what I'm lamenting. That's what we're, that's how we lament. We don't want to descend and use ungodly means to go about fixing our lament. Okay. That's, that's kind of a roadmap of how, but what do we lament? What do we lament to God? Well, one is, it, this is, this is very simple, but we are lamenting our pain. <laughs> I am going to be sad that I am experiencing hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sad that I'm getting beat up and I'm being wounded and, and I'm continually to battle and I'm, I'm having PS, PTSD constantly through the conflicts I'm having. Now, uh, this is important, is because where else can you talk about your pain all of the time? Remember what I said um, Sometimes people will listen to your misfortune, but they no one wants to listen to recited misfortune. Um, some of you know this. I have back problems, and so I can't sleep a whole night without waking up and my back hurting. So what I can't do, though, I can't even do this with my family. I can't wake up every morning and say, my back hurt last night. I can't do it. It's a recited misfortune. My family would get sick and tired of me saying my back hurt last night. And so I don't. If you've talked to anyone who's suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome or even a hemophiliac, 
They've adopted a phrase for when people talk to them and say, hey, how you doing? You know what they say? They don't tell them the extent of pain. They literally say, well, normal, bad, and they smile. Normal, bad, because no one can handle recited misfortune except God can. Godly lament is this, is we never stop reciting our pain to him. And that's huge. There's no other place you can do that except God himself. Two, what do we lament? What do we lament? You know what we're lamenting? We're, we're lamenting all the hate, all the opposition, all the non-peace, all the non-stop conflicts that are happening personally in our lives and externally in our culture and world. The agitations of heart that are just ongoing, unreconciled. There's constant division and there's no, nothing on the horizon that's going to fix the division. There's no rest from it. And yes, it's politics, but it could be family members. It could be long-standing feuds. Godly lament is always tired of the thousands of conflicts we are experiencing. Why? It's not peace. You can constantly be tired of being in conflict. That's godly lament. All right, what's the third thing we lament? Is this, is we lament things not changing, especially quickly. We're lamenting that my, my situation doesn't even seem to change, even after years. We're lamenting that we don't see resolutions. We're lamenting that we don't see fixes. We, we're, we're, new boss, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We're lamenting not being able to change the past, but the future doesn't look any better, right? We're lamenting that whatever we see before us is not the Garden of Eden, and it's not the new city. We're lamenting, it doesn't look like that. This doesn't look like that, and this doesn't look like that. And we're always lamenting that it doesn't look the way it's supposed to. The fourth is this, is we're lamenting my lack of patience. We're lamenting my, my, my lack of waiting for his ways. We're lamenting my own insistence to go back to tired strategies and tactics. We're lamenting that. And we're also lamenting our own sins in the middle of being attacked. And David has incredible soul awareness here because victims what victims and wounded people they want to be innocent all the way around and it's never true it's never true so how do we walk that's the question how do we walk with jesus in the middle of wounded lament i'm only going to give you two how do we walk with Jesus in the middle of our godly lament? Well, the answer is this. Short answer is this. Um, well, he walks with us. Okay, number one. When we look at his pain and we look at his limitations, there is a withness that will help us abide with Jesus in the middle of godly lament. This is what I mean. Um, Jesus understands. Have you ever been betrayed in a business deal? Well, try being sold for 30 pieces of silver. Has an entire community bailed on you 
or even shunned you or ostracized you? Have you, have you endured shame in front of a community? Well, try being whipped naked publicly. I have a few spots in Old Town if you want to try it out. Have your parents decided to cut you out? Disappointed in you? Put their hand up to you. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says. Have you been right and correct while everyone around you thinks you're crazy for the position you hold? Jesus asks his disciples, um, who does everybody say that I am? Some say you're possessed, Lord. Have your, have your friends bailed on you? Your friends now. Your squad. Have your friends ever bailed on you when you've kind of felt at your weakest? A friend of mine uses a phrase, uh, cancer will get you a casserole but divorce gets you expelled. Jesus can look to Peter. Someone asks Peter, uh, hey, you, you're, you're, friends with, you're friends with that Jesus guy. Um, I've seen you around. Yeah, you're part of his crew. Peter, uh, huh? No, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know him. Huh? What? No. Uh, and he doesn't do it one time. It's not just mild embarrassment. No, he does it three times. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Have people ever looked at your background, your pedigree, your nationality, your ethnicity, and view it as lower than or sus or suspect? Jesus comes from a backwater in Galilee. Country accent. No house, no assets. A little bit of a question mark about who his dad is. Have you ever had people want to switch you out with someone who's on death row? Give us, give us Barabbas, the crowd, chance. When I say Jesus gets it and gets you, I think I'm on good ground. But I think most ministers stop there. Don't forget something else. Jesus didn't just become human flesh, the word made flesh, and then scurry back to heaven after the resurrection to only divinity. Like he was, he, he went to back to divinity and he discarded that annoying human body. No. What did he do? Jesus limited, limited himself to humanity, to body, embodied flesh for eternity. There is now, now, right now, this morning, there is an ongoing, non-stop, 
physical understanding of you in real time because Jesus has a body now. When you talk to him now, he can literally rub his side. Right? He can literally rub some scars. We walk with Jesus in his humanity now because he walks with you in his humanity now. And that doesn't stop. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is this. Are you tired? Like our, to use a Southern phrase, are you worn slap out? (laughs) Are you tired of the ongoing hostility in yourself and in the world and in all of your relationships? Are you tired of the constant agitation? Now, now, Reconciliation is a fairy tale word unless there is a space where peace is always true. Let me repeat that. Reconciliation is a fairy tale word unless there is a space where peace is always true. Now, the New Testament writers are insistent, especially Paul, but all the New Testament writers are insistent that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. We have peace through with God. They say it again and again. And then we have peace with God because of Jesus alone. We were once hostile against God. We were once separated, divided from. We were once against God. We were once his enemies. We were against ourselves and we were against each other and we're against creation. And then we're made right with God. Right? When we are made right with God, we have a place to feed on peace and shalom. You have this ability now. Now. Tomorrow. Today. You you have this place daily to walk into a place, space, relationship that has zero agitation. 100% ongoing peace. Who can can say that about any other relationship that we have, right? In some sense, any other relationship that we have causes some sort of drain. And it's constantly draining. So, So you have this space where you can show up and you can talk and you can commiserate and you can lament and you can whine and you can moan and you can groan. And you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't spark any comebacks or further furious emails and phone calls and texts and passive aggressive barbs for the next 40 years. Right? You have a space. You have a place. You have a time. You have a friend when you can walk into... That that space of talking and a round table and it's all peace and it's all reconciled and there's no mad and there's no fear and there's no ugh. I don't know if ugh is a word. Some of us call it prayer. Some of us simply call it I spent time with my Savior today. Um, we have that. Because Jesus reconciled us to God. He became the enemy of his father, taking sin upon himself, so that we have that space, we have that place now. We have that place now. That's not just a future reality. You can show up in a daily space where there is peace all the time. That's godly lament for the wounded. That's abiding with Jesus 
while we are wounded and while we are lamenting we are wounded and let me tell you it gives healing deep healing and it's not poison let's pray into that Jesus uh, help us lament help us um, run and turn from these strange time-worn ways of lamenting and let us abide with you while we grieve enable us to do this by your spirit but especially through your reconciling work in jesus name amen